Chapter Fourteen, Part Two of My Life on the Plains. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. None of the command except the Indian guides had ever visited the route we desired to follow, and they were forced to confess that until the storm abated sufficiently to permit them to catch glimpses of the landmarks of the country they could not undertake to guide the troops to the point where we desired to camp that night here was a serious obstacle encountered quite early in the campaign the point at which we proposed to encamp for the night was on the wolf creek only some twelve or fifteen miles from camp supply it not being intended that our first day's progress should be very great we had started however and notwithstanding the discouraging statements of our guides it would never do to succumb to the opposition so readily there was but one course to pursue now that the guides could no longer conduct us with certainty and that was to be guided like a mariner in mid-ocean by the never-failing compass there are few cavalry officers but would carry a compass in some more or less simple form mine was soon in hand and having determined as accurately as practicable from my knowledge of the map of the country the direction in which we ought to move in order to strike wolf creek at the desired camping ground i became for the time guide to the column and after marching until about two p m reached the valley of wolf creek where a resting place for the night was soon determined upon there was still no sign of abatement on the part of the weather timber was found along the banks of the creek in ample quantity to furnish us with fuel but so embedded in snow as to render the prospect of a campfire very remote and uncertain our march of about fifteen miles through the deep snow and blinding storm had been more fatiguing to our horses than an ordinary march of thirty miles would have been our wagons were still far in the rear while they were coming up every man in the command officers as well as enlisted men set briskly to work in gathering a good supply of wood as our personal comfort in camp in such weather would be largely dependent upon the quality and quantity of our firewood fallen and partly seasoned trees were in great demand and when discovered in the huge beds of snow were soon transformed under the vigorous blows of a score of axes into available fuel it was surprising and well as gratifying to witness the contentment and general good humor everywhere prevailing throughout the command even the chill of winter and the bitterest of storms were insufficient to produce a feeling of gloom or to suppress the occasional ebullition of mirthful feeling which ever and anon would break forth from some celtic or teutonic disciple of mars fires were soon blazing upon the ground assigned to the different troops and upon the arrival of the wagons which occurred soon after the company cooks were quickly engaged in preparing the troopers dinner while the servants of the officers were employed in a similar manner for the benefit of the latter while the cooks were so engaged officers and men were busily occupied in pitching the tents an operation which under the circumstances was most difficult to perform satisfactorily for the reason that before erecting the tent it was desirable almost necessary to remove the snow from the surface of the ground intended to form the floor of the tent 
otherwise the snow and soon as a fire should be started within the tent would melt and reduce the ground to a very muddy condition but so rapidly did the large flakes continue to fall that the most energetic efforts of two persons were insufficient to keep the ground properly clear such at least was the experience of lieutenant molan the adjutant and myself in our earnest endeavors to render our temporary abiding place a fit habitation for the night tense up at last dinner was not long in being prepared and even less time employed in disposing of it a good cup of strong coffee went far towards reconciling us to everything that had but a few moments before appeared somewhat uninviting by this time a cheerful fire was blazing in the centre of our tent my comfortable bed of buffalo robes was prepared on a framework of strong boughs with my ever-faithful dogs lying near me i was soon reclining in a state of comparative comfort watching the smoke as it ascended through the narrow apex of the tent there to mingle with the descending flanks of snow in regard to the storm still prevailing outside and which in itself or in its effects were to encounter the following morning and for an indefinite period thereafter i consoled myself with the reflection that to us it was an unpleasant remedy for the removal of a still more unpleasant disease if the storm seemed terrible to us i believe it would prove to be even more terrible to our enemies the indians promptly at the appointed hour four o'clock the following morning camp was bustling and active in response to the bugle note of reveille the storm had abated the snow had ceased falling but that which had fallen during the previous twenty-four hours now covered the ground to a depth of upward of eighteen inches the sky was clear however or to adopt the expressive language of california joe the traveling was good overhead it is always a difficult matter the first few days of a march to inculcate upon the minds of the necessary hangers-on of a camp such as teamsters wagon-masters etc the absolute necessity of promptness and strict obedience to orders particularly orders governing the time and manner of the marching and one or two days usually are required to be devoted to disciplining these unruly characters when the hour arrived which had been previously designated as the one at which the command would begin the second day's march the military portion were in complete readiness to move out but it was found that several of the teams were still unharnessed and the tents of the wagon masters still standing this was a matter requiring a prompt cure the officer of the day was directed to proceed with his guard and after hastening the unfinished preparations for the march to arrest the wagon masters and most dilatory of the teamsters and compel them to march on foot as a punishment for their tardiness this was no slight matter considering the great depth of the snow so effective was this measure that not many hours had elapsed before the deposed drivers and their equally unfortunate superiors sent through the officer of the guard a humble request that they be permitted to resume their places in the train promising at the same time never to give renewed cause for complaints of tardiness to be made against them 
their request was granted and their promise most faithfully observed during the remainder of the campaign all of the second day we continued to march up the valley of the stream we had chosen as our first camping ground the second night we encamped under circumstances very similar to those which attended us the first night except that the storm no longer disturbed us the snow did not add to our discomfort particularly save by increasing the difficulty of obtaining good and sufficient fuel our purpose was to strike the canadian river in the vicinity of antelope hills which are famous and prominent landmarks in that region and then be governed in our future course by circumstances resuming the march at daylight on the morning of the third day our route still kept us in the valley of wolf creek on whose banks we were to encamp for the third time nothing was particularly worthy of notice during our third day's march except the immense quantities of game to be seen seeking the weak shelter from the storm offered by the little strips of timber extending along the valley of wolf creek and its tributaries even the buffalo with their huge shaggy coats sufficient one would imagine to render the wearer indifferent to the blasts of winter were frequently found huddled together in the timber and so drowsy or benumbed from the effects of the cold as to not discover our approach until we were within easy pistol range when the indian guides and our white scouts who rode in advance would single out those appearing in best condition and by deliberate aim bring them down details of a few troopers from each company were left at these points to cut up the butchered game and to see it being loaded in the company wagons as the trains came along in this way a bountiful supply of good fresh meat was laid in the weather favoring the keeping of the meat for an indefinite period occasionally we would discover a herd of buffaloes on the bluffs overlooking the stream then would occur some rare scenes of winter sport a few of the officers and men would obtain permission to lead the column and join in the chase an indulgence that could be safely granted as no fears were entertained that hostile indians were in our immediate vicinity the deep snow was a serious obstacle to exhibiting speed either in the buffalo or his pursuers it was most laughable to witness the desperate and awkward efforts of the buffalo horse and rider in the frantic endeavor to make rapid headway through the immense fields of snow occasionally an unforeseen hole or ditch or ravine covered up by the snow would be encountered when the buffalo or his pursuer or perhaps all three horse rider and buffalo would disappear in one grand tumble into the depths of the snowdrifts and when seen to emerge therefrom it was difficult to determine which of the three was most badly frightened fortunately no accidents occurred to mar the pleasure of the excitement seeing a fine herd of young buffaloes a short distance in the advance i determined to test the courage of my stag hounds blucher and maida approaching as near the herd as possible before giving them the alarm i managed to single out and cut off from the main herd a fine yearling bull my horse a trained hunter was soon alongside but i was unable to use my pistol to bring the young buffalo down as both dogs were running close to either side and by resolutely attacking him endeavoring to pull him down it was a new experience to them 
a stag they could easily have mastered but a lusty young buffalo bow was an antagonist of different caliber so determined had the dogs become their determination strengthened no doubt by the occasional vigorous blows received from the ready hoofs of the buffalo that i could not call them off neither could i render them assistance from my pistol for fear of injuring them there was nothing left for me to do but to become a silent although far from distressed participant in the chase the immense drifts of snow through which we were struggling at our best pace would soon vanquish one or the other of the party it became a question of endurance simply and the buffalo was the first to come to grief finding escape by running impossible he boldly came to bay and faced his pursuers in a moment both dogs had grappled with him as if he had been a deer blucher seized him by the throat mayida endeavored to secure a firm hold on the shoulders the result was that blucher found himself well trampled in the snow and but for the latter would have been crushed to death fearing for the safety of my dogs i leaped from my horse who i knew would not leave me and ran to the assistance of the staghounds drawing my hunting knife and watching a favorable opportunity i succeeded in cutting the hamstrings of the buffalo which had the effect to tumble him over in the snow when i was enabled to dispatch him with my pistol on that afternoon we again encamped in the same valley up which we had been moving during the past three days the next morning following the lead of our indian guides who had been directed to conduct us to a point on the canadian river near the antelope hills our course which so far had been westerly now bore off almost due south after ascending gradually for some hours to the crest or divide which sloped on the north down to the valley of the stream we had just left we reached the highest line and soon began to gradually descend again indicating that we were approaching a second valley this the indians assured us was the valley of the canadian delayed in our progress by the deep snow and the difficulty from the same cause always experienced by our guides in selecting a practicable route darkness overtook us before the entire command arrived at the point chosen for our camp on the north bank of the canadian as there is little or no timber found along the immediate banks of that river as far up as we then were we pitched our tents about one mile from the river and near a small fresh-water tributary whose valley was abundantly supplied with wood if any prowling bands or war parties belonging to either of the tribes with which we were at war were moving across the canadian in either direction it was more than probable that their crossing would be made at some point above us and not more than ten or fifteen miles distance the season was rather far advanced to expect any of these parties to be absent from the village but the trail of the war party discovered by our indian guides just before the expedition reached camp supply was not forgotten and the heavy storm of the past few days would be apt to drive them away from the settlements and hasten their return to the village we had every reason to believe that the latter was located somewhere south of the canadian after discussing the matter with little beaver and hard rope and listening to the suggestions of california joe and his conferees 
I decided to start a strong force up the valley of the Canadian at daybreak the following morning to examine the banks and discover, if possible, if Indians had been in the vicinity since the snow had fallen. Three full troops of cavalry under Major Joel A. Shelley at 7th Cavalry ordered to move without wagons or otro impedimento, each trooper to carry 100 rounds of ammunition, one day's rations, and forage. Their instructions were to proceed up the north bank of the Canadian a distance of 15 miles. If any trail of Indians was discovered, pursuit was to be taken up at once, at the same time sending information of the fact back to the main command, indicating the number and character of the Indians as determined by their trail, and particularly the direction in which they were moving, in order that the main body of the troops might endeavor, if possible, to intercept the Indians, or at least strike the trail by a shorter route than by following the first detachment. A few of our Indian trailers were designed to accommodate the party, as well as some of the white scouts. The latter were to be employed in carrying dispatches back to the main command should anything be discovered of sufficient importance to be reported. In the meantime, I informed Major Elliott that as soon as it was fairly daylight, I would commence crossing the main command over the Canadian, an operation which could not be performed hastily, as the banks were almost overflowing, the current being very rapid and the water filled with floating snow and ice. After making the crossing, I would, in the absence of any reports from him, march up the bluffs forming Antelope Hills and strike nearly due south, aiming to encamp that night on some of the small streams forming the headwaters of the Washita River, where we would again unite the two portions of the command and continue our march to the south. Major Elliott was a very zealous officer, and daylight found him and his command on the march in the execution of the duty to which they had been assigned. Those of us who remained behind were soon busily occupied in making preparations to effect a crossing of the Canadian. California Joe had been engaged since early dawn searching for a fort which would be practicable for our wagons. The troopers and horses could cross almost anywhere. A safe fording place barely practicable was soon reported, and the cavalry and wagon train began to move over. It was a tedious process. Sometimes the treacherous quicksand would yield beneath the heavy laden wagons, and double the usual number of mules would be required to extricate the load. In less than three hours, the last wagon in the rear guard of the cavalry had made a successful crossing. Looming up from our front like towering battlements were the Antelope Hills, these prominent landmarks which can be seen from the distance of over twenty miles in all directions, are situated near the south bank of the Canadian, and at one hundred degrees west longitude. The Antelope Hills form a group of five separate hillocks and are sometimes called boundary mounts. They vary in height above the average level of the plains between 150 and 300 feet. Two of the hills are conical and the others oblong. They are composed of porous sandstone and are crowned with white and regular terraces about six yards in depth. From the summit of these terraces one enjoys a most commanding view. 
On the left is to be seen the red bed of the Canadian, whose tortuous windings come from the southwest, direct their course for a while northwards, and finally disappear in a distant easterly direction. The horizon is but an immense circle of snowy whiteness, of which the center is the point of observation. Here and there a few acclivities rise above the plains, divided by the rows of stunted trees, indicating a ravine, or more frequently a humble brook such as that on whose banks we camped the night previous to crossing the Canadian. It never occurred to any of us when folding our tents that the bleak winter morning on the bank of the Canadian, that there were those among our number who had bidden a last and final adieu to the friendly shelter of their canvas-covered homes, that for some of us, some who could but sadly be spared, the last reveille had sounded, and that when sleep again closed their eyes it would be that sleep from which there is no awakening. But I am anticipating." One by one, the huge army wagons, with their immense white covers, began the long ascent which was necessary to be overcome before attaining the level of the plains. As fast as they reached the high ground, the leading wagons were halted and parked to await the arrival of the last to cross the river. In the meantime, the cavalry had closed up and dismounted, except the rear guard, which was just then to be seen approaching from the river, indicating that everything was closed up. I was about to direct the chief bugler to sound to horse, when far in the distance on the white surface of the snow, I decried a horseman approaching us as rapidly as his tired steed could carry him. The direction was that in which Elliot's command was supposed to be, and the horseman was approaching could be none other than the messenger from Elliot. What tidings would he bring, was my first thought. Perhaps Elliot could not find a ford by which to cross the Canadian, and simply desired instructions as to what his course should be. Perhaps he has discovered an Indian trail, a fresh one, but it must be fresh if one at all, as the snow is scarcely three days old. If a trail had been discovered, then woe to the luckless Indians whose footprints are discoverable in the snow, for so long as that remains and the endurance of men and horses holds out, just so long will we follow that trail until the pursuer and the pursued are brought face to face, or the one or the other succumbs to the fatigues and exhaustion of the race. These and a host of kindred thoughts flashed in rapid succession through my mind as soon as I had discovered the distant approach of the scout, for a scout I knew it must be. As yet, none of the command had observed him coming, not being on as high ground as where I stood. By means of my field glass I was able to make out the familiar form of Corbin, one of the scouts. After due waiting, when minutes seemed like hours, the scout galloped up to where I was waiting, and in a few hurried, almost breathless words informed me that Elliot's command, after moving up the north bank of the Canadian about twelve miles, had discovered the trail of an Indian war party, numbering upwards of one hundred and fifty strong, that the trail was not twenty-four hours old, and 
the party had crossed the Canadian and taken a course a little east of south. Elliot had crossed his command and at once taken up the pursuit as rapidly as his horses could travel. Here was news and of a desirable character. I asked the scout if he could overtake Elliot if furnished with the fresh horse. He thought he could. A horse was at once supplied to him, and he was told to rejoin Elliot as soon as possible, with instructions to continue the pursuit with all possible vigor, and I would move with the main command in such a direction as to strike his trail about dark. If the Indians changed their general direction, he was to inform me of the fact, and if I could not overtake him by eight o'clock that night, Elliot was to halt his command and await my arrival, when the combined force would move as circumstances might determine. My resolution was formed in a moment, and as quickly put in train of execution. The bugle summoned all the officers to report at once. There was no tardiness on their parts, for while they had not heard the report brought in by the scout, they had witnessed his unexpected arrival and his equally sudden departure. Circumstance which told them plainer than mere words that something unusual was in the air. The moment they were all assembled about me, I acquainted them with the intelligence received from Elliot, and at the same time informed them that we would at once set out to join in the pursuit, a pursuit which could and would only end when we overtook our enemies. And in order that we should not be trammeled in our movements, it was my intention then and there to abandon our train of wagons, taking with us only such supplies as we could carry on our persons and strapped to our saddles. The train would be left under the protection of about eighty men, detailed from the different troops, and under the command of only one officer, to whom orders would be given to follow us with the train as rapidly as the character of our route would permit. Each trooper was to carry with him one hundred rounds of ammunition, a small amount of coffee and hard bread, and on his saddle an equally small allowance of forage for his horse. Tents and extra blankets were to be left with the wagons. We were to move in the light marching order as far as this was practicable. Then, taking out my watch, the officers were notified that in twenty minutes from that time the advance would be sounded and the march in pursuit begun the intervening time to be devoted to carrying out the instructions just given. In a moment, every man and officer in the command was vigorously at work, preparing to set out for a rough ride, the extent or result of which no one could foresee. Wagons were emptied, mess chests called upon to contribute from their stores, ammunition chests opened and their contents distributed to the troopers. The most inferior of the horses were selected to fill up the detail of eighty cavalry, which was to remain and escort the train. An extra amount of clothing was donned by some who realized that when the bitter, freezing hours of night came, we would not have the comforts of tents and campfire to sustain us. If we had looked with proper dread upon the discomforts of the past three days, the severity of the storm, the deep snow, in our limited facilities for withstanding the inclemencies of a midwinter, 
even when provided with shelter food and fire what was the prospect now open before us when we proposed to relinquish even the few comforts we had at command and start out on a mission not only full of danger but where food would be very limited and then only of the plainest kind shelterless we should be in the midst of the wide open plains where the winds blow with greater force and owing to our proximity to the indians even fires would be too costly an aid to our comfort to be allowed yet these thoughts scarcely found a place in the minds of any members of the command all felt that a great opportunity was before us and to improve it only required determination and firmness on our part how thoroughly and manfully every demand of this kind was responded to by my command i will endeavor to relate in the next chapter end of chapter fourteen part two